0: That's Irish Fiddler and National Heritage Fellow Liz Carroll playing the Didda Fly and Dodger. It's from her CD, Lost in the Loop. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Liz Carroll has been recognized as one of the great Irish fiddle players since she won the All-Ireland Senior Championship at the age of 18. And she's only gotten better. Her first solo recording, Liz Carroll, was chosen as a select record of American folk music by the Library of Congress in 1988. Fast forward, her 2000 solo recording, Lost in the Loop, was named best in the Celtic-British Isles category by the Association for Independent Music. Liz composes much of what she plays, and the breadth of her musical ability is astounding. Her repertory includes reels, set dances, and three kinds of jigs. In 2010, she published a book of her tunes called Collected, and it's now in its second printing. Born and raised in Chicago, Liz regularly plays with other Irish musicians in and around her hometown. In fact, in 1999, Mayor Richard Daly proclaimed September 18th Liz Carroll Day in Chicago. But her musical reach has always been global. And now that her children are older, she's added more extensive world tours to her calendar and became a founding member of the international musical group, the String Sisters. In the mid-2000s, Liz Carroll teamed up with guitarist John Doyle. Not only was their CD, Double Play, nominated for a Grammy Award, but Liz and John played at the White House for President Barack Obama on St. Patrick's Day, 2009. 2010 was a banner year for Liz Carroll. The Irish voice named her one of the year's most 50 influential women, and she was honored at IBAM, Irish Books Arts Music, with the Cultural Arts Award for Outstanding Achievement. We at the National Endowment for the Arts like to point out that we were ahead of the curve when it came to appreciating the cultural contribution that Liz Carroll has made, since we made her a National Heritage Fellow back in 1994. I spoke with Liz Carroll recently and began our conversation by asking her, what makes Irish music, Irish music? Well, that's a
1: good question. <laughs> it's a very simple music. I'll say that. I know that when I teach, if, if I'm describing to them how to pick up by ear, let's say, for example, from like if you have a core note, amazingly, everything is almost like one note away or two notes away. And that's pretty rare in music. There's no gigantic hops. A lot of times, so if I say you're picking up something by ear... I'll tell them, if you go one note away, up or down, and if you're wrong that time around, then just go the other direction the next time. But it is amazing how small the distances are between the notes. Now, with, with Scottish music, there's, there's much bigger leaps, and you can really tell that that's just a different music. I also kind of say this not to be going on, but uh, it can be very fast music, and a lot of times that's what a lot of people are out at the bar and they're just kind of stomping their feet and throwing their beer about. <laughs> and when they're, when they're doing that, but even with that very fast and happy music, if you slow it down, not only is it those small little intervals between notes, but I would say that it, it also has the effect, uh, when you slow the pieces down, of the very sad tunes that, which are, are built to be slow. Now, if th- does that make sense, Joe? I think it does, but you know what? (laughs) Why don't you give us an example? (laughs) Let's see what I could do here. Well, you know, if I play a little bit of a, like a kind of a classic um, Irish air, there's an air that's called uh, the Coolin, and it goes like this. almost everything that was going on there, you can hear that the little jumps are like little thirds away. People in the music will know thirds, but if you think about it in terms of do, re, mi, do, mi, so, (laughs) would be like a little triad. So those are like little jumps of two notes apart. And Mm -hmm. and that's kind of what's going on there. If I play you a happy tune now, (laughs) let's see if I'm going to find a good one. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Those notes are pretty close together again. But I'm playing faster, and you could stomp your feet to that. But if I slow that piece down. Uh Ah, yes, I can hear that. Yeah, it's a funny thing. And for us that really know the tunes, I think a lot of people hear Irish music and they might not be able to tell one tune from another. And in, some, in the worst cases, <laughs> they think they're all the same tune. But for us that play it, well, I guess at some point, uh, we get fast enough that we can really pick them up f- at full speed. But as you're learning them, you really learn that there is a big difference. They're, each melody is its own, little, its own little game and its own little uh, story. And we get to hear, even as we're going fast, we we can hear this little character of it being happy, but, you know, yeah, being very sentimental at the same time. What attracts you to Irish music? Well, it's beautiful. <laughs> I think it's in my blood. My father was an accordion player. Uh, my mom's father was a fiddle player. We heard not a lot of music outside of Irish music, but but I really was attracted to it and I always really liked it. I just have my my brother Tom and myself, we just have the two of us in our family and he he avoided that Irish music like the plague. <laughs> it was not it was not particularly his thing at all. So he was the guy that would be buying all the rock records and and following that. He's he's come around since, but I wasn't particularly attracted to the any of the rock or any of the things that were going on. I really liked <laughs> hanging out with these mostly older people, playing their flutes and doing whistles and pipes and fiddles. Uh, who knows how you, how you come to like that? It just, I just feel like it was just uh, born in me to, to enjoy it and to like it. You can like the Irish music on many different levels. You can you can really like the ballads of people like the Clancy Brothers. You can shun the Clancy Brothers and really only want to hear old-style Shanos. As they, which is the Irish word for old, uh, old time or old sound, um, singers that are unaccompanied, kind of with their eyes closed, sitting in a corner, you can have people that really want to have uh, the Irish washerwoman belted out <laughs> on a fiddle, kind of like single bows for the whole thing, and then there'll be a whole other gang of people who love Irish music that would say they love Irish music, and yet that wouldn't be the Irish music that they love. It's a small world, but this is a big world, this Irish music. When did you start playing music in general, not just the fiddle? Well, I started um, playing at my house. I think that my first instrument was uh, was the accordion. My parents got me a little toy, a little Coleco piano accordion. I think for a lot of kids that like music, they they do tend to be attracted to that part of the toy store. <laughs> so I was, a, I was attracted to that part of the, the toy store. If there was a toy trumpet, anything to hit or play on, I liked it, so I I used to get them little musical play instruments for for presents, and I loved them. So I had this accordion. That same brother that I was talking about stepped on that same accordion, (laughs) and in the process of really crying over that, my father put his accordion in my lap, and so I started picking out tunes on there. The first um, formal lesson that I had at all was on the fiddle. Uh, There were no accordion teachers. And my dad didn't really teach anything. He just, uh, he just put it in my lap, you know, and it's kind of like, do, do what you can. And kind of he did that, too. He wasn't really like somebody that could name a note or slow down a phrase. It's basically he would pick up the accordion and he could start from here and go, yay. <laughs> 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 and, it, <laughs> and somehow he got there. And uh, it was quite funny as I was growing up, because uh, I, I think it made me... Uh, uh, maybe particularly tolerant with just about anybody for any reason, not just music, because it was just amazing that he played this lovely music. But if I j- slowed him down and said, "What? what is that one note? You know, it was just unbelievable that he couldn't pick it out. So it just told me that people are built differently and to be a little bit tolerant of that and that just because they don't maybe do it this way or that way doesn't mean that they're not making nice music. And so I, I went uh, for violin when I was nine, Joe. And uh, I have a little story on this. Do you want to hear it? Oh, definitely. <laughs> this is kind of good. When we, living on the south side of Chicago on 55th Street, Garfield Boulevard, it's called, in that section of 55th Street, uh, when my parents moved into this uh, apartment building on the second floor, there actually was a piano in that apartment, and they asked did my parents want to keep that piano? And they said, no, 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 because we were little. And uh, they just thought we'd be making a whole racket (laughs) with that piano. But when it came time for a chance to take lessons, and this was offered, I think, uh, how old are you when you're nine? Maybe fourth grade? Yeah. fourth grade. There was a a, a nun there, uh, Sister Francine, and she taught piano and violin, and I really wanted the piano. So my parents bought a old upright piano, and had it delivered to the house, and they couldn't get it up the front stairs, and they could not get it up the back stairs. And like I said, the same nun was teaching violin. So my mom just went, come on, try try the violin. Your, your grandfather plays, and if you don't like it in three months, you don't have to do it. So I went in, and uh, I loved it, and who knew? So that was a big surprise to me. That that I just was infatuated with it, and I loved it, and I really just never put it in my case. I just kind of kept it out. Get home from school, grab it. If there was a chore to get out to get out of, grab it. <laughs> <laughs> I like to say it got me out of lots of vacuuming and dishes. When you were given lessons,
0: you were given, I'm assuming you were given lessons, in classical music no, or traditional Irish music?
1: No, no. I didn't take the classical music very far. And I always kind of regret that now because I kind of think if I had actually known what it was, I think I would have been more interested. But my parents, they they didn't find the classical station on the radio. They didn't buy classical records. So we really didn't know what that was. Or I didn't know what that was. But I knew what the Irish music was, so I really, really pursued that. At some point, uh, there's a flute player in Chicago whose name is Noel Rice, and um, he's still teaching and all here in Chicago, and he asked me would I teach Irish fiddle. So I uh, probably maybe 16 or 17 started doing that, and I used to do a good bit of it in Chicago. Now there's a lot of camps that are dedicated just to Irish music, and in those camps you might have maybe three or four fiddle teachers, Two or three tin whistle and flute teachers, pipe teachers, piano, singing, like that. So there's there's loads of them now, and they're all really kind of all around the country. You could be in, you could probably do that for a living <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at this point, because there's yeah. enough. You could be in Colorado one week, you could be in New York the next week, you could be in uh, Tennessee the next, you could be off in France the next, you could be off in Ireland the next. You'd do- be a lunatic do- if you did, but you could.
0: There really is a resurgence in traditional Celtic music, isn't there?
1: Yeah, yeah. It goes in uh, in different little stretches. A lot of people would point to that um, maybe Riverdance and Lord of the Dance uh, brought the profile way up. And, and, and I think that's really true. The Chieftains are going to be in town here in Chicago, and I know they're on tour now. And the Chieftains is the name of a really great group mm-hmm. um, out of Ireland has been going a long time ad- I think it's their 50th year of existence. They've been very influential. I remember um, Eileen Ivers, who's a great fiddle player, and she used to play with Riverdance, and and she talked one time uh, about uh, the session really being the great equalizer. What is a session? It's where you just sit down with other musicians, and there's no show, there's no particular audience. You're just with other musicians, and you're sitting down, and you're playing from a repertoire of, of... of all kinds of tunes that you found interesting, both growing up and along the way, something that attracted you off of whatever, the latest album of this person. And and it's a great spot to just kind of see what's going on. I don't know if most people would know that side of things. It probably doesn't even look that inviting (laughs) if you walk into (laughs) a, a pub, let's say, and there is a session that night. And it can be a lot of people playing instruments, but basically they turn to each other in a circle. And if you're not playing, you're not really in that circle. You're, you're kind of outside of it. So you might, you might be sitting at another table and not in the thick of that, of that meeting. Yet for people that really love the music, they say this is, this is the bee's knees. This is the best thing. Period. It would be like a, a jam session for jazz. Yeah. 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 When did you start composing, Liz? I kind of started composing right off the bat. I don't know why. You mean when you were nine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh. I, I think probably before it. I was, I was always picking out little melodies. So I don't know what that is. I know that you can, you can definitely start later. You can be an adult and just suddenly find out that you can, you can do this. For me, I always kind of did it before I knew how to write anything down, and before we had a tape recorder. I think there's probably there's loads of lost, <laughs> lost bits of music along the way. And even when I started to learn how to read music, I still have bits and of sheets of paper at home of just whole notes. You know, this would be just your little uh, bagel. I don't know what any of those tunes are either. And I think at some point I realized, oh, I don't know what it is because I didn't know how to put the timing in. And I didn't know how to put in the time signature. And I didn't know how to put in the key signature. <laughs> so there's a lot of lost tunes there, too. But they, di- they are there, so yeah, probably around 8 and 9 I was making up tunes, and p- probably before on the accordion, but those are completely lost because we didn't get um, a recording device till maybe I was around 11, 10.
0: Chicago seems to me to be really instrumental for you as an artist, as a fiddler,
1: as a composer. It's a great town. It's a great town for the Irish. I grew up on the south side, as I said, and there was a great gang of people that were there that moved from Ireland including my parents. There was a great gang that moved to the north side of Chicago. On Sundays, we used to meet at the basement of Old St. Pat's Church downtown. Maybe not every Sunday, but maybe once a month uh, to play tunes and meet. It's a great town for Irish music. It's a great town for every music, though. So as, as I was growing up, and like I say, as that brother would be playing other music in the house, and as we got old enough to get the car and go out, we would go out and hear and blues at Kingston Mines and Teresa's and uh, different places, and um, there's always concerts coming through. And there was folk festivals that were near enough hitting distance, including the, the Chicago Folk Festival that just went by. You could go there, and you'd meet all kinds of people playing. So what a great thing. So you got to hear, uh, for me, I got to hear the, the violin doing a lot of other kinds of music.
0: Now, Liz, you're playing this traditional Irish music in Chicago. When was the first time you took that music and, and played it in Ireland?
1: You know, I, I went to Ireland when I was younger because my grandparents were there. So we, we went over when I was five. We went over and I was ten, which was a great time because I had just really started the violin. And like I say, that grandfather played, and he was there, and we got to play together. After that, I was in an Irish dancing school in Chicago called the Dennehy School, And uh, we went and did a tour in Ireland in, I'm going to show my age now, but 1971, which was a very, very jolly, jolly experience. I had a lovely accordion player along on that whose name was Patty Clunan, who's still playing, and uh, Mary McDonough is on the piano, and uh, a young Michael Flatley was playing the flute and the whistle and dancing, and uh, I was along on the fiddle. Just great fun. You just felt like everywhere that tour went, musicians came out, and there were parties, and there was hanging, and sessions, like I talked about, and uh, and relatives, <laughs> so I really loved it. Eventually, I got to go back t- for the uh, Flacuoles that were in Ireland. There's a competition over there that's called the All-Ireland, and I went a few times to that, and uh, I got uh, second my first time over there in the under-18, and I got first the next year in the under-18, and then I got first in the senior the next year. And this kind of puts you in like as like maybe people started to know who you were because the next nice thing that happened was that it was the Bicentennial in Washington, D.C. in 1976. And I really don't know if people like myself and Jimmy Keene and Michael Flatley would have been known if we hadn't been going over to those competitions in Ireland because when they were putting together people to play at it, they did come to Chicago and all of us got to go as, as young people. And again, here we are in the thick of it, and we're more and more realizing that we love it. And I got to go off on a tour with the Greenfields of America, uh, something put together by this fellow, Mick Maloney, and toured there. And yeah, who knew? I really um, all the time was going along, going to school, figuring maybe I'd be a school teacher and, and then you know the wind blew another direction, and all these nice things have gotten to happen. I love going to Ireland. It's still the place to be inspired. You go there, and it's, it's in everybody's blood, really. And you sit in there among them playing, and, you know, it's a workout. <laughs> it, it's a, it keeps you honest. You learn a lot. It's a really high level. And I think that all of us, American-born, would really give kudos to Ireland to, to be the place that we just absolutely love to go, and it refreshes us and tells us why we're doing it.
0: When you play or when you compose traditional Irish music, Is there strains of Chicago in it? Because it's very fresh, and you put your own stamp of individuality on it, and yet at the same time it remains traditional. That seems to me to be kind of a juggling act.
1: Yeah. I used to have people kind of say, well, you're an American fiddle player, and I think um, you were trying so hard to fit in with this tradition that I I used to not like to hear that, but... At the same time, I didn't really change what I was starting to do. I really liked chords. I guess maybe that's the accordion player in me. So double stops on the fiddle really weren't being done in any of the old recordings of Irish music or even when I started growing up. But I kept kind of wanting, especially if it was a tune of mine, you'd want to kind of tell people what you were hearing chord-wise if they didn't know the tune. So in describing that, I think I did used to put in a lot of double stops And I still do it. I still love doing it. And I still love just kind of pointing out what I'm hearing. So if that makes me a little bit more American sounding, then there, so be it. It's a funny thing that a lot of the musicians over there in Ireland now, I think, are really, really checking out American old time and bluegrass music. I think if there's a particular thing, uh, if I can say in in my playing, well, there's a kind of music that's called, well, it's Kerry music. It's from County Kerry, And they play a lot of polkas there. And one move that they kind of do with their playing is this. Let's, let's say um, if I was going to play these four notes. Okay, so let's say mm-hmm. that's a melody. If it was a polka, it might be going. But they might put a little bit more of an emphasis into the second note by kind of dipping your bow onto the strings, in other words, you're pressing harder and you're moving, so that you start to get a sound that goes like, like this.
2: Does
1: that make sense? Yes. Because it's carry music, funny enough, these polkas, a lot of the bowing will go from the beat to the offbeat, like if you're going to do two notes on a bow. And funny enough, American music also kind of goes from the beat So the offbeat, so that you're kind of going, you're tying these two notes together. But in regular real playing, you wouldn't really tie those first two and the third and fourth note together. Instead, you would have tied the second and the third note together. And then that sounds like this. So this, that's a different animal. And funny enough, when I run into classical musicians, and a lot of times if it's like these things where an orchestra is going to back up an Irish player, and this happens every once in a while, funnily enough, sometimes I'll I'll look back at the musicians and I'll say, you know, there's a little thing with the bowing, and all of the violinists will go, yeah, what's, wait a second, what's going on? And I'll just tell them that, that it's really going dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da rather than da-dum-da-dum-da-dum-da-dum. And once they switch that over, they go, whoa. And and if you switch that over, that's that's really Irish music. So you don't have to do those stresses, but I've really started really kind of pushing those stresses. So I think that's part of my style, if you want to hear a little bit of, of that in a tune. And actually, I would love to hear some of that in a tune right now. Fantastic. <laughs> okay, well, maybe I'll play it the uh, first part that that I don't do it, and then I'll play the first part again, and then I will do it. And then okay. you can see what you think of that. Uh, Then, Joe, I can mix them up so then they can be like play off of each other. So would you like to hear the whole tune? Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> okay. It's beautiful. It's just a, a great old great old trad tune. How did you hook up with John Doyle? Uh, well, you know, I was doing a, an album a few years ago, and uh, you were talking about the Chicago connection. It ended up being called Lost in the Loop. And uh, when I was doing that And album, I just got that connection. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Where have I been? Oh, my God. That's so embarrassing. Oh, do you know what, though? I didn't think of it first either. I... I, I I was trying to think about how uh, that tune uh, worked around, and again, that, that brother brother mine was was helping me out and saying, "Okay." I said, "I can't come up with a name for this tune," and he says, "Well, what does the tune do?" And I said, "Well, it, it loops on itself; it keeps looping." And then he said, "What about the loop?" And I said, "Well, well, what about lost in the loop?" And then we just went, "Oh my God! Look at the look at the Chicago connection; it'd be perfect." <laughs> Plus, I've I've gotten lost in every section of the loop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so John Doyle. Yeah, yeah. So, well, he was playing with a band at the time that was called Solace. And I had asked Seamus Egan, who uh, is the leader of that band, to produce this album. And I hadn't really done a solo thing in a while, so I really wanted to have somebody else's ears. And I was really enjoying every recording that that band was doing. And their guitar player was John Doyle, and he's a terrific, terrific guitar player, and I, and I think uh, it was just uh, exactly where my style was going right then. I just really kind of liked the dynamic playing that I was hearing from John. I don't think I really realized that he was also going to be the absolutely beautiful um, slow player that he is. And in fact, uh, who knew he was going to be just so well-rounded in every way? Because uh, he's ended up going off and playing with an awful lot of people. But he's just terrific, and after making that album, my kids were just getting old enough that I could say, okay, I'll go off for a couple of weeks and go and tour. So I went off to England and Scotland and asked uh, John if he'd like to come along and do that. As often happens, it sure happens in Irish music, as often happens, um, you can have a lot of people on a recording, but you can't go on the road with all of those people, especially a lot of the places really just kind of hold 100 or 200 people. You could never afford all the the rooms and the traveling. But John was able to do it, Just so so as a duo we went off and it was just such, as the Irish say, a great crack. It was great fun. (laughs) (laughs) So so here he is, he's fun and he's a great player and he wanted to do it. So I just feel like we've had a great run of doing, uh, that he was on that album, he was on the next one that really just had my name on it and then we got to do a couple of albums that had both of our names on it. And And you did Double Play, which was nominated for a Grammy. I know, I know. That was pretty stunning. (laughs) ¶¶
0: bringing Irish music into the 21st century in new and adventurous ways that still
1: somehow honors the tradition. I would like to think that I've definitely tried. Sometimes it, you know, you, you could go bigger, I kind of find that I, I constantly go kind of smaller. I really like to look at a tune, whether it's an old tune or a new tune, and I really like to take a look and see what might be there. And it, so that's kind of maybe going more microscopic than big, but it's 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 me being me. Luckily, I get to still do it. But you know, it could be that I grab bass players and drummers and dancers and you know a big show. But I've really liked just going along this way and and just keeping it pretty spare. Would that make sense? Yep. And we all like it too. Well, that's very nice. <laughs> <laughs> now you're you're working
0: with Cormac McCarthy who's a pianist.
1: Right Uh, well Cormac is here in Chicago amazingly and just as a wonderful piano player comes from Cork. I was really just taking a look at the city after doing a lot of bopping around with John Doyle and and he was just getting into loads of other projects and wasn't going to be available and and Cormac had just moved to Chicago to go and do jazz at DePaul University. And he's over here, and I was like, Wow, here's this really good piano player, and it's a different sound, and it's a different person, and he's in Chicago. Holy cow, this, is, this would be great. And there's a lot of musicians that are in Chicago, and they're, they're all really great. It just was a, a chance to play with a piano. And uh, and I think all the piano players in Chicago right now, they, they have day jobs. <laughs> so here's somebody that's that's really playing music, although, really, his day job is jazz, <laughs> not particularly Irish. But his roots are kind of like mine. He also grew up uh, with traditional music in his home. His father's a flute player and a fiddle player, and he went to sessions, and his sister plays the concertina. And, it's you know, it's funny. It's kind of like the same background. He, say, he was telling me the other day that he really was avoiding the whole Irish music when he was going to high school. I think uh, that's, that's very close to a lot of the, a lot of the people in, in Chicago to certainly all the boys put away and hid their fiddles <laughs> or, or stomped on them so they didn't have to carry them to school. It just was never a good look, was it? <laughs> so he was funny. He was like, uh, he's kind of the same way over there. They wouldn't be that anxious to be seen playing that trad music with those old guys. But he's come back to it, and he's really loving it.
0: I'm going to ask you to play something else, is that okay? Sure.
1: Well, you know, the last thing I just played was a, was a reel. So what if I were to play a jig for you? <gasps> Perfect. And you know, um since it's around St. Patrick's Day, the tune that I was talking about before, the Irish Washerwoman, sometimes that gets a it gets a, a bad rap <laughs> because it's <laughs> because it can be that fiddle player in a pub at 1 o'clock in the morning, that has to play it really fast, and it's all about that. But it's actually a really quite sweet tune, and it is in old books of Irish music. And maybe I'll just play that little tune for you. Um, I Sounds also have great. some little variations. Plus, I might see what happens. We'll just play it for you. Okay? Okay, I'm ready. <laughs>
0: as much fun to play as it is to hear.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's actually a riot. I was just having a great time there. (laughs) Liz Carroll, thank you so much for coming in. I really appreciate it, and thank you for playing. Thank you, Joe. It's been a total pleasure. Happy St. Pat's to you.
0: That was Irish Fiddler and National Heritage Fellow Liz Carroll. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from The did a fly and Dodger, from the album Lost in the Loop, performed by Liz Carroll, use courtesy of Compass Records Group. Excerpts from Before the Storm, The Black Rogue, from the album Double Play, performed by Liz Carroll and John Doyle, use courtesy of Compass Records Group. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on the iTunes link on our podcast page. Next week, Sarah Greeno, editor of My Faraway One, selected letters of Georgia O'Keeffe and Alfred Stieglitz. To find out how ArtWorks in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed.